professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 708 on CJD. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau. This is a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. How are you, sir? I am excellent today, Dan. Excellent. And uh, this evening, our guest is Rick Hanna. Rick is from Luzinzi Spaghetti. Welcome, Rick. Nice to be here. And, uh, well, it's not an actual factory, is it? Nope. It's not an actual okay. factory, no. <laughs> and, you, you know, Dan... When we have guests on that the entrepreneurs in the food industry, it's terrible, you know, it's 7 p.m., it's after a long day, you kind of get hungry. But it's, uh, it's a great story to hear. The family, the Canna family, has been in the restaurant business for decades and decades, and the story is really interesting one. Looking forward to hear it. So, Rick, welcome. And maybe you can kind of tell the audience today, what is Usine de Spaghetti? What is your restaurant business today? And how did you or the family get started in it? Well, L'Usine de Spaghetti is a basically a pasta restaurant in Old Montreal. We've been there since 1977, and our family has owned the, the restaurant since 1987. We bought the building in 87, and I've been running the business ever since the day we bought it. Our family business started back in 1958. My parents came from India, and they opened their first restaurant in 1958, a snack bar called Tommy's Restaurant, which my father then enjoyed the business so much he opened the first Indian restaurant in uh, Quebec called the Maharaja on Drummond. And we've owned a restaurant all our lives. We've always had uh, a restaurant in the family. Have you have you always been in the business? Has touched it when your parents were running it? Uh, my parents made sure that my brother, I have a twin brother and my sister, were always involved in the restaurant. We were working from 13 years old, uh, 12 years old, doing dishes, bussing tables. We've always, always been involved in the business. So was it a difficult decision to kind of go into it and, and run your own place? It was uh, kind of a, a decision of necessity. I had gotten married that year, and my father looked at me and said, you better start earning some money, so we're going to buy this restaurant and you're going to run it, and uh, we, what, you, what we want you to do is run it for one year, we'll keep the building and we'll sell the business after one year. And after the first year, we made so much money at the spaghetti, we thought, we can never sell this. So it's been with me ever since. And so it's been a great experience through up and downs. Uh, you, you bought it in, uh, or you started operating it in the late 80s, 87, 88, I think you said. Uh, I, I guess and then the recession hit not too long after, certainly the early 90s. How did that have an effect on you? Well, in the when the recession hit, um, I realized that the, the, the business in Old Montreal was busy only for the summer months. And I was interested in looking at getting busy also in the winter. So I started looking at expanding, and I bought a, a, another restaurant, a, a sports franchise here in Montreal, with a partner in 1993, which had its own ups and downs. I'd never been in a franchise business before. I'd always been an independent. And um, it was a, an interesting process. I think the timing was wrong on owning a sports franchise in 1993. I was... Uh, what happened in 93? Well, in 93, the uh, Expos were the best team in baseball. Uh, the Canadians had just won the Stanley Cup, so I thought a sports bar would be a perfect fit. In August 93, the commissioner of baseball, Bug Zielik, pulled a plug on the, on the year, so the Expos were, were done. And in September, hockey went on strike. So I owned this 6,000-square-foot uh, uh, sports bar, and I was showing um, Rocky Balboa movies. <laughs> now, you said you, you had a partner in these ventures. Have you had a partner before, a partner since, and what have you learned from that? Um, 
Yeah, I, I've had one other partner in another restaurant, and I just realized that it's very difficult in the restaurant business to have partners. It's it's better being your your own decision maker and not having to answer to somebody else's way of doing business. So I um, I, I don't think I would ever have another partner. Any particular dispute or, or story that you remember that you know you know I'm never going to take this path again. This really I'm I'm shied away from this. Well, going back to the to the sports bar, I. I in 93, the only thing that saved our business was um, making money off of the new legislation on the video lottery terminals. We were allowed to have four terminals in our bar, and that was the only way that we were making money. Now, my, my partner had no compunction about making money that way, and I could not stomach making money off of other people's misery. And after about four months, I turned to my partner and I said, I can't do this anymore. This is the only way that this business is going to survive is by the VLTs. Yeah, you're making good money, but can you go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning with those images in your head? And I couldn't. And it was a franchise model you were working with. Is that something that you would have enjoyed to stay with had it been the right place? Or it just wasn't for you, that franchising? Uh, franchising wasn't for me. Uh, I, I couldn't, uh, I, didn't, I don't like answering to somebody above me telling me how to set my menu, who I have to purchase from, who uh, I'm not allowed to purchase from. When I know only my own business, besides the franchise, the price is in the market. And, uh, you know, th these large franchises, there's a lot of um, discounts and kickbacks that are open to the parent company that the franchisee doesn't know about. And you only become aware of that when you go in, when you start asking questions and we didn't know this going in so the um, the, the franchise aspect of it like i said is it, it, you have to really dot your i's and cross your your t's before you sign for a franchise on the flip side are there benefits i mean certainly having a lot of things planned out for you that that must be a, a bit of a relief i think that somebody who wants to buy a franchise who has never run a restaurant before, he'll have a helping hand in a lot of decisions and a lot of questions that will come up in the restaurant business. But because of my, my family background, because my father and my mother were so involved in our, in our businesses, uh, I always had my father as a mentor who would answer these questions for me. I didn't need a parent company telling me what to do. And I think that was uh, one of the reasons why it left a bad taste in my mouth being involved in a franchise. And I think one of the other issues, uh, and you said not having a partner, is, well, so who do I trust if I'm not around? And as a restaurateur, you know, we've heard it time and time again, it requires almost 24-7 to be there. And when we get back on the break, I'm looking forward to hearing Rick's thoughts on trusting others and how he really fully spends his days. Today's Entrepreneur continues. Our guest, Rick Kana from L'Usine du Spaghetti. It's 7.15 right now. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 718, welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening is Rick Hanna from L'Usine du Spaghetti, and a restaurant in the Old Ports uh, there since 77. The family took it over in 87. And Rick, we've heard, obviously, lots of stories about the restaurant industry and how difficult it is. Uh, uh, people, you know, waitresses skimming tips and just all kinds of issues. What, what sort of issues have you had, and how difficult is it to, to trust people in the restaurant business? Well, trust is, is a major issue in the restaurant business. There are a lot of temptations. The liquor, the money, like you say, the tips, uh, the food. Uh, there are so many temptations, and it's almost impossible to have your eye on every issue. You have to, at one point, trust your staff 
that they're going to do the right thing by you. But to get to that level takes years, years. It took me 15 years before I would give the key to somebody else in my restaurant. I was opening and closing every day and every night. And um, I only then realized that that wasn't the right way to go about it. At a certain point, you have to give your staff a certain amount of, of trust and also responsibility that they will do the right thing. Because in, in essence, if, if I'm successful, they're successful. And uh, I've learned that the kind of the hard way where I did have a, a couple of issues with some staff that I had, uh, you know, given a little bit of uh, too much slack to. And, you know, in the, in the morning you'd see there would be uh, bottles of wine that were missing, uh, a couple of roast beefs going out the back door, uh, things like that. But you learn from all that. And how do you, you know, with your own philosophy and treating your people, how do you deal with issues like that? And how do you try and prevent it from happening to begin with? Well, I don't think in the restaurant business you can prevent it 100%. I think that there's always going to be a certain point where, you know, that kind of uh, um, personality is going to come out in somebody. But you, you, you can't be there all the time. If you're there all the time, then you have no family life or you have no, no other thing going on but the restaurant. And I think that um, a lo- that's a lot of um, where a lot of restaurateurs kind of uh, go overboard. Do you feel, you mentioned family life, do you feel you've made some sacrifices in, the, in really working this business? I've made a lot of sacrifices, but I've been very lucky that my wife was 100% behind me from the day I opened the restaurant, and she still is 100% behind me in all my decisions when it comes to the restaurant. She, uh, she understood that uh, in order for me to, to make this business work, I had to be there. And, you know, I missed a lot of uh, dance recitals. I missed a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Canada Day parties and, and St. Jean-Baptiste parties because I was working. And uh, I still miss them now, but it's different. Now, let's come back to the employees for a second. Have you, after learning, I guess, over the years that you, you do have to rely on some people, have you changed at all your, your hiring practices or perhaps the questioning when you're, when you're bringing on new people? No, I don't think so. I think I, I've, uh, I, I ask the same questions when I'm going to hire a new girl for the floor, I'm going to hire a new uh, cook for the kitchen. Even if I'm going to hire a new dishwasher, it's always the same questions because it's always the same issues that come up. Everybody comes in, thinks they all, they all think they're smarter than you. And in the end, uh, you've seen it all before. Do you, put, do you put any specific systems in place so that you monitor them? Well, the systems that we have in place right now are, uh, we have a new computer system thanks to Revenue Quebec. Which we'll address, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the systems are, are basic systems that I've, I've, um, I've implemented over the last uh, 15, 20 years that I found have worked for me and have worked for my specific restaurant. But I think every restaurant is different. And I, and I believe that, you know, when entrepreneurs are looking at their systems, they've really got to tailor it to what works for them. And then sometimes, of course, the government comes in. Tailors uh, it for them. <laughs> and, and tailors it for them and, yeah. and tries to point them in the direction that's, of course, beneficial for, for the state. But certainly uh, doesn't always hurt for the entrepreneur. And in the restaurant business, with Quebec imposing these new cash register systems, I think it's a really, I'm, I'm very curious to hear what Rick has to say on that topic and uh, looking forward to it. And I'm sure some other restaurateurs out there also have some experiences, uh, and they're welcome to, to join the conversation as well at uh, 7900991 or StarTalk on Bell Mobility. So we'll get to, to Rick's thoughts on that controversial cash register system, uh, now obligatory for restaurants in Quebec, in uh, just a second. It's 723 on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 
Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller on today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening, Rick Hanna from Luzine du Spaghetti. And Rick, we were talking about uh, how difficult the restaurant industry can be sometimes, certainly a very high-stress environment. And uh, there's one case in particular which I think illustrates that, uh, which is, <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of funny and scary at the same time. Yeah, I can remember one night when um, <clears throat> I was in the restaurant. I was in, in the dining room, and one of the waitresses came up to me, and she said, Rick, you got to get into the restaurant, uh, get into the kitchen. And before I, I even got one foot into the kitchen, I could hear the screaming going on. And I had um, three cooks and a dishwasher. Each one of them had a knife in their hand, and they were swearing to kill the next one beside <laughs> them. I felt like I was in a scene from uh, Star Trek, uh, where you know it was I was Captain Kirk, and I had three aliens around me <laughs> trying to kill me. But what we did was we closed the, the kitchen, and we served whatever people were left in the restaurant. We got, got all the orders out, and I took everybody outside, and I said, like, you guys you can't do this. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's just uh, one of you is going to end up in the hospital, but it was just a fight over nothing. You know, you certainly have to deal in occasionally crisis management. You have to absolutely think on your feet. Do you have a management philosophy or kind of a people philosophy that you follow that's worked for you? I do. I mean, uh, I think basically general people are are, are good. I, I don't think that anyone really tries to be nasty or tries to to make it a point to uh, to try and steal from the boss or or steal from another employee. I, I really think that uh, basically if you give people the, the chance to, to show them that, to, that what they're worth, they, they normally can do it. And in the restaurant business, it's magnified 10 times because it's down the line. It's from the kitchen to the floor to the hostess, right out the door to the customer. Now, sometimes in, in, in businesses, they rely on outside associations to try and help and try and find, you know, the right method or how, how can things work? How can we group together and make things work? Now, I understand in the restaurant business in certain quartiers, there's Merchants Association. Uh, I, would, I would imagine in Old Montreal, there is such one as well. Has that helped? How has that worked? There is a Merchants Association in Old Montreal. Although it's kind of fragmented, you have Old Montreal has certain pockets. You have Plage Cartier, you have Saint Paul Street, you have De la Commune, you have west of Saint Laurent. And I think the problem with the Merchants Association in Old Montreal is that they can't get together and make decisions for the entire community of Old Montreal. They make decisions that affect only one street or two streets. When you look at the Grand Prix weekend on, on Crescent Street, these guys have their act together. They, they know what's going on. They know that that week they can make you know, 15, 20% of their year in one week. And they're, they're, they're convinced that by shutting down the street and putting efforts into staging and uh, you know, putting in cars and, and uh, kiosks and everything, that they can run their business better for that week or, or so. Their Emergence Association works. In Old Montreal, like I said, it's fractured. You have certain parts of Old Montreal where it's closed for six months. And then the other, just a block away, they'll be open for, for the entire year. So I've, you know, I understand that it's difficult, but there should be a way around it. As an entrepreneur, are there, are there any people that you kind of rely on or bounce ideas off of to try and help your business? The only person that I ever bounce ideas off of are my, my wife and my mother and my father. They're the ones who, their advice I trust the most. And I, uh, to this day, I, my father with his experience and my mother with her experience, I, uh, I take their advice over anybody else's. You'd consider your, I guess, those people or your father as a mentor? He is my mentor. Yeah, and, and in, listening, in listening to Rick, and you hear about the people around that could help a business, that aren't always so useful. And I think entrepreneurs really have to weed out 
the, the areas because there's a lot of people that would want to come in and, and either take advantage or think that they're they're trying to come out for their for themselves even though they're trying to disguise it as helping you and entrepreneurs just have to know who they can trust and who they can go to the fact that Rick ha has that in his own family he's certainly a big a big plus and it's beneficial but uh, something entrepreneurs have to weed through every day who can really help me here's who many restaurateurs can trust the government and certainly lately, uh, we've had this law which makes it obligatory for restaurateurs to have this, uh, this billing system inside of the restaurants, this electronic billing system, very controversial in the industry right now. And we'll get Rick's thoughts on that in just a few moments at 7.30 on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Seven thirty-six. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau. This is a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller from Fuller Landau, and our guest this evening from L'usine de Spaghetti, Rick Hanna. Not an actual spaghetti factory. Uh, it's a restaurant in the Old Port, and uh, the big thing on the minds of restaurateurs uh, lately, Rick, is of course this system being imposed on on you all by the Quebec government. Uh, tell us a bit about the new rules and uh, and why you have to spend a whole lot of money to get your restaurants a bit more digital these days. Well, the uh, Revenue Department, Quebec Revenue Department, has implemented some new legislation for 2011, uh, actually started in 2010, uh, where you have to have a computerized uh, MEV system on every cash register in your restaurant or in your store. Uh, this is going to make sure that every sale and every, um, well, basically, every, every bit of revenue that comes into the restaurant will be recorded, and, which is fine, but the government has, uh, you know, it's expensive. It costs about $6,000 per machine, and some people need four or five machines in their store, so it can get very pricey. You have until the end of November to have this put in your store. Otherwise, uh, you will, uh, I think, basically be shut down. How has this affected the industry and your business in particular? Well, for us, uh, what it's done is it's it's brought computers into my business. I'm not that computer savvy, so it's helped me a lot with the, the computer aspect of the business. And it's uh, made basic bookkeeping just that much more easier for me, that's all. You were doing everything by hand before? We were doing everything by hand, and uh, all, all the bills were being recorded in a, in, in a ledger. And uh, those... Um, uh, that way of doing business now is, is, is become obsolete as far as the revenue department's concerned. So as of November 30th, you can no longer have any more handwritten bills. Uh, we put the machines in in March, uh, but you have only another month to do it. What type of effect will this have on the average Montreal restaurant? Because, I mean, you hear the expense, five, $6,000 per unit, and a lot of small business owners out there are, are, I'm sure, kind of shocked by that. I mean, a lot of people couldn't take that expense. Well, you, you are going to get a certain grant back from the government, but the longer you wait, the less of a grant you get. Uh, when, we did the, when we did it, we got almost the full amount back. It was $4,000 a machine that we got back. Now, getting closer to November, I think it's only about 10% that you're going to get back. And as of November, after that, there'll be uh, no more grant. You'll have to put it in, and the restaurant will bear the full brunt of the expense. Uh, you had a year to, to do this. So it's not like the government is just all of a sudden turned around in one month and said, okay, now this has to be done. So everyone knew that this day was coming. Do you think uh, that'll result in some of your competition maybe closing its doors? I think that a lot of restaurants are for sale. Um, whether or not they'll close is another issue. I know that the government has had studies on how much money 
was being lost to undeclared sales and income tax that wasn't being paid and the GST and QST on, on those sales. Uh, whether their numbers are right or not, I don't know. But the thing that they've done is they've painted everybody with the same brush. They've said that, you know, because they've audited a few restaurants and they found discrepancies, they basically said the industry is corrupt and let's do this uh, legislation. The reality is you've had systems before. You'll have systems now. It's a little bit different. It's a little automated. Uh, I guess the there is some benefit as well. What would be the benefit to these systems in, in restaurants and in particular yours? Well, the benefit is, like I said, the the, uh, the bookkeeping, the general bookkeeping is much easier. The the uh, the girls, the way they close their caches, it's much easier. The there's there's no longer any more, uh, you know, I'm ten dollars short, I'm five dollars short. It it is what it is now. That's all it is. Um, but for for us, we never had an issue with that. It's the the guys who, like I said, that small maybe five or ten percent of people who try to get away with things, they're the ones that are going to be affected. Now. Now that now let's talk about competition. You know, certainly it might affect, it might not. Do you keep tabs on your competition, like the people in the restaurants around you? All the time, I look at what other restaurants are putting on as specials. I look at what other menus are going up in Montreal. I walk around the uh, the area twice a day to see what's going on as far as competition. It's that cutthroat out there that if you don't do it, you can fall through the cracks so quickly. And it'll take months before you can catch up. Really staying on top of, of everybody and everything around you. Exactly. You have to know exactly what uh, your competition's up to. And a pretty competitive environment, too, um, I'm sure, with the tourists uh, in the summer as well. Uh, give us an idea about, about how you sort of lure in uh, people from outside of Montreal, people who may not be familiar with the restaurant. Well, we're lucky in our restaurant where we have a great uh, um, word of mouth on our restaurant and also that we've been there for so long. But the new restaurants coming up, it's harder for them to do that. The, the, the tourists come into town and they rely on the hotel concierge or they rely on friends of theirs who visited Montreal. And, you know, that's basically where they get their information. Uh, in old Montreal, we're very lucky where if someone's coming into the city for three or four days, in one of those days, they're going to end up in old Montreal. So it's eventually they're going to walk by our restaurant or they're going to be in, in Plage Arcarte and we will be visible for them. I'm sure foot traffic plays a huge role, but what about online, social media? Uh, have you ventured in that? Do you think that would help? Well, like I said before, I'm not too computer savvy <laughs> and I'm a little bit of a dinosaur it's when it comes... It's never too late. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a dinosaur when it comes to, to the computer, but my daughter has opened a, a restaurant in Montreal and they rely heavily on uh, these food blogs and uh, Twitter and uh, uh, the social media for their word of mouth. So you speak you speak of your daughter. So is there a next generation in the restaurant business? Absolutely. She's been with me. F she's been working with me in my restaurant for the last three or four years. And this year she's opened her first uh, restaurant. And what is the restaurant? Where is it? It's on Notre Dame Street. It's called Pilot. Uh, it's a different restaurant than what I'm used to. It's more of a higher end. It's a Canadian fusion type of cooking. Uh, dynamic food, uh, dynamic staff, and uh, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed for her. Are you hands-off or hands-on? Do you let the bird fly out of the nest, or do you kind of keep tabs? I let the bird fly out of the nest with a safety net, <laughs> and uh, I, I really want her to be independent, and I want her to uh, make her own way. But I also want her to rely on my years of experience, to the, the same way I relied on my father. 
and, and you know, as we come up to uh, kind of getting to to part way to the end of the show, I gotta just ask you location. Certainly, restaurants uh, location. If you don't have it as number one, two, and three on top of your priority list, you're kind of dead. So tell us what location means to you. It's almost everything in the restaurant business. Uh, unless you can establish your location as a destination out of the way place because of the cooking or the style of restaurant you are, if you don't have the right location, you're doomed to failure. And I think it's a big mistake that a lot of restauranters make in thinking that I can open a restaurant just because of my food or because of my, uh, my connections in the industry and I'll be successful. If you don't have that street traffic, if you don't have at least, you know, a couple. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. Our guests is this, this evening, Rick Hanna from Ruzinza Spaghetti, and we also bring into the conversation Patrick Sullivan, a partner at Fuller Landau, and uh, your trustee, Josh. Yeah, now Patrick is going to enlighten us on all the scary thoughts that some entrepreneurs should know. Welcome, Patrick, and really just start us, start us off. What really should entrepreneurs and directors know about these potential hidden liabilities? Thanks, guys, for being here. Uh, yeah, quite, a, quite scary out there at... at certain times uh, obviously more so when companies are get into financial difficulties because that's where all these potential liabilities really find their way through uh, but you have to start by the basics which uh, are deductions at source for obvious reasons are considered a super priority where directors have a personal liability uh, there has been implemented a few years back what is called the WEP program, which is the Wage Earner Protection Program Act, which also now includes a super priority which ranks ahead of banks uh, to the tune of $2,000 per employee. Obviously, uh, we say it ranks ahead of banks, but if there are no sufficient assets to be realized upon, they will go against directors. And we obviously provide them with all, the trustee provides them with all that information. Is it law to provide this information to the banks, government, financial institutions? In the case of insolvency situations, yes, the trustees are obliged to provide this information. We have to register each employee for them to be entitled to get that $2,000 from the government. Uh, the government obviously becomes subrogated into the employee's rights and then claims into the bankruptcy. If there are funds to pay that amount, yes, uh, directors could be off the hook to a certain degree because this amount of $2,000 is limited to six months of unpaid salary and vacation. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the total amount that's owed to that employee. So there would be a recourse there, obviously. Is Now, you, you say it's, it's vacation pay, it's pay. Is it all relating to... Uh, any type of deduction source and what can the entrepreneur do to maybe protect himself a little bit? Well, probably the best protection is to have an external payroll service uh, where normally the deductions at source will be uh, taken immediately out of the bank account upon each remittance. That's somewhat of a protection. I guess the best protection is to pay current your salaries because a lot of people think, okay, we're paying them twice a month so we're always spinning off two weeks behind and figure that $2,000 runs fast in, in these day and ages. So that liability could be mitigated if people were paid 
on a weekly basis for the current week. How aggressive? I mean, does the government automatically come back and go after directors if they can't collect? Are they really aggressive? Do they start seizing? Well, what's what's been your experience in that? Well, the uh, since the the uh, the coming of the web program, because that information is made readily available, uh, I would tend to say yes, they come immediately after directors for whatever they don't get out of the realization. And obviously, that being said, the employees are also very well informed now, and they're informed of their rights. So whatever they don't get from the government they can also go after directors and normally through les normes du travail they will do that and now there's also i understand their csst which is as i get as i understand part of the payroll service so is csst also part of this now csst is now also uh has also become a priority towards directors uh and uh, funny enough they're even in in their act they're even entitled to penalties and interest so it's not only a question of uh, a certain amount that, that has not been paid, uh, it's also a question of coming after directors for penalties and interest. And there's so much in the CSST Act. Uh, that I mean, it's a, it's, it's a huge Bible of information that so many entrepreneurs and business owners just don't even realize what they're getting into. Uh, is there any, you know, when you're experiencing, Patrick, uh, the employees coming after, do you, do they talk to the entrepreneurs talk to the employees first? Do they kind of get involved with them? Well, so you have to be careful because sometimes it's not the employee that instigated this. Uh, it will get instigated through the government if they didn't receive their, their $2,000 back from the estate. Or it can also be instigated through the non who will, you know, because the information is available, will take one employee and then will tag on all of the employees to go after directors. So some of these employees don't necessarily know that they're being represented at some point until they get a form to sign and then it's already in the, in the makings. It's, uh, and certainly it's kind of off balance sheet. You don't always realize it's going to happen. And there's certainly a cash flow issue at play because do you want to make sure you have enough money aside? God forbid something happens. Or, you know, and certainly in the restaurant business, Rick, it's, you know, some people are great and cash flush, but we all know that restaurants sometimes work from hand to mouth. So they can't always uh, get that, be that prepared when, uh, well, when in this situation. You're right. A lot of restaurants are working only month to month. And if an issue like this arises, where do you get $2,000 for an employee if you've got five or six employees? If it's a small mom-and-pop-run uh, place, that's a lot of money. And certainly when the businesses are, are working with banks and getting financing, the banks, I'm sure, have to look at this and say, hey, wait a second, I better protect myself. Uh, and I think, uh, Patrick, I'm sure you've had experience in this. And when we come back from the quick break, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. 7.53 on Today's Entrepreneur, and uh, as well, we'll get to, uh, to Rick's parting thoughts, parting advice for Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Remaining moments of Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. And our guest this evening, Rick Canna from L'Usine du Spaghetti and Patrick Sullivan, trustee with Fuller Landau. Now, Patrick, just before we left, uh, you know, entrepreneurs deal with banks and financing all the time. And these unknown or unfunded liabilities that are definitely out there, the bankers are all over it, and they know they got to protect their rear end. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, what, what normally happens, uh, Josh, is that the bank will take a reserve 
on the availability. So the funds of available made available to the company, there will be a reserve representing normally an estimate of what the priorities or super priorities could be. Uh, the easiest way for them to do it, despite the fact that it not, it's not necessarily true according to the books, is to say, if you have 100 employees, it's $2,000 ahead, the super priority there. We're going to reserve $200,000 off your line of credit. So if you're able to borrow a million dollars and that's your line, the bank might come back and say, you know what, you can only take 800000 because we got to protect ourselves. Correct. That's the way it works. And over and above that, they will also slap on if there's a, a reserve for deductions at source or a reserve for CSST. These are all what they call priorities, and they make sure that they're covered with them. Certain banks also include GST and QST to that number. Uh, so any, any kind of potential liability will be reflected by the non-availability in funds on the line of credit. In, in today's economy, and certainly in past recessions, do you find that the banks kind of change our tune a little bit or kind of squeeze even harder and try and make sure that, as I said earlier, their rear ends get covered? Well, more and more, they, they, not to, to go to the defense of the banks, they don't have that much of a choice. Uh, normally, they lend on assets. Now, if everybody has a priority ranking ahead of you on those assets, at a certain point, you have to make sure that you're going to be covered. So that's basically, and it, it's priorities have always existed and they have always taken reserves. The truth of the matter is, is that today there are more and more priorities tagging on to the same assets. So yeah, they're protecting themselves in that way. Are they more aggressive or less aggressive? I couldn't really say, but it, those have always been there. It's just that the volume has expanded. And one last quick question. If an entrepreneur has loaned money to his business or invested in his business, is it worthwhile to register that loan? and maybe have him as, as kind of in rank ahead of some others? Well, if the investment has been made uh, while the company obviously is a viable company, uh, yes, it's not a bad idea to take a security position on the assets. That being said, you have to understand that the bank will want to be a priority and you have all those priorities ranking ahead of the, the, the loans you may have made. Great. Thanks very much, Pat. And Rick, you know, uh, certainly as, as you've told your story to a lot of very interested people, what would be the, uh, the one piece of advice you would give to today's entrepreneur? Well, in, in the restaurant business, it's, it's basic risk and reward. If you take a big risk in a restaurant, you can be very, very successful and enjoy a very fruitful existence. But you've got to be able to take that risk. And anybody, any entrepreneur who's not willing to take a risk uh, should get out of it. And Dan, uh, thanks very much, Rick. Uh, Dan, certainly the takeaway I get. I get a couple of takeaways. One is, in the restaurant game, you kind of got to go with your gut. You got to know your business inside and out. And you kind of live and, and, and eat, so to speak, <laughs> eat and, and breathe it. You got to be there 24-7. Notwithstanding that, I believe what Rick kind of learned a little bit along the way was you do at some point have to release some of the reins. You do at some point have to trust somebody or a, or a few people so that you literally don't have to be there 24-7. You could be there maybe only 14 hours a day instead of 20 hours a day. And I think it's a very hard lesson for any entrepreneur to learn is how to trust, how to find that right individual so that they can pass on a little bit of responsibility so you can go out and either spend time somewhere else or not have the sacrifice of, uh, of losing time with the family. 
Rick, Kant uh, from New Zealand's Spaghetti. Thanks so much. Very interesting story, and I appreciate you coming in tonight. Thank you, Dan. And uh, also thanks to Patrick Sullivan, trustee and partner with Fuller Landau. And uh, Josh, we're off next week. We're off back next in week. Two weeks. We're back in two weeks on Halloween, oh. October 31st. And that show we have Kayla Sayre. And, uh, and they're in the aviation business, uh, really supporting almost everything in the aviation world. Right. Maybe I'll dress up like an accountant for the show. Maybe I'll dress up right, like radio. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. You can visit Fuller Lando during business hours at 514-875-2865 or visit their website, www.flmontreal.com. 8 o'clock news is next on CJ80.